You're listening to the Shamelessly Feminine Podcast, the place for the kick-ass woman who needs a kick in the ass. Your host, Jen Rosenbaum, is giving you the tools to shed shame and live the biggest life possible. So kick off your heels, get comfy, and get ready to be the boss of your life. I'm so inspired by today's guest, Samantha Rogers. She is the... uh, boss babe behind Eat Clean Cooking Dirty or Eating Clean Cooking Dirty. Uh, I met her last year and she made dinner for us in an event that I went to and it was just super yummy. And she really is the first one that convinced me that eating clean can taste good and be fairly easy. And she makes it easy with her plans and her um, ideas for meal prep because it's not like the hardest part of what we do. Um, but not just that, she talks quite a bit about life experiences and how it's molded her to the business that she's at today. And I think that any mom out there or any busy woman would really benefit from hearing today what she has done with her life and how she cooks clean, healthy, happy meals for her and her family. Hi, Samantha. I am so happy to see you. First of all, you look gorgeous. Your glasses are amazing. Everybody can't see you, but I can and you're rocking it. And I'm happy to see your face. How are you? I am awesome. How are you doing? I'm doing well. So, okay, before we like start getting into all the good stuff, tell us who you are and why you're so fabulous. Oh my <laughs> gosh, there's so many reasons. Uh, <laughs> I love you. <laughs> um, I, my name is Samantha Rogers. Um, I am a total foodie. Uh, I have gone through a long journey of healing myself through food and have turned that into not one, but two different businesses um, that kind of feed off of each other. Um, and yeah, I love I love clothes outside of food. Yeah, you have um, amazing style, by the way. Thank you. Amazing style. <laughs> so wait, tell us what those two businesses are before we get into yeah. your awesomeness. Okay. So um, the, the one that has the fun name is Eating Clean, Cooking Dirty. And Eating Clean, Cooking Dirty kind of was born out of my overwhelming stress over feeding my family and working full time. Um, at the, at the time I started this, I was working outside the home in an office, um, working full time, breastfeeding, trying to feed my people, also commuting a fair distance, both myself and my husband and not, and trying not to eat a croissant sandwich every day. Um, which was just, that was my life, uh, even though I knew better. Mm -hmm. And finally, one day I sat down and I said, this is, this is, this can't be it. There has to be a better way to feed myself and my family healthy food without spending hours in the kitchen. And I am a process slightly OCD person. So I started taking that and creating meal plans every week religiously and saying, I'm only spending two hours on Sunday dealing with this. What can I do? Mm. And chopping, you know, if if a re- if I had eight recipes on my menu and three of them needed diced onions, I would chop all the onions and figuring out streamlining that process, um, which is what I what I did in the corporate world. And that turned into meal plans. And then, you know, I have this conversation with every mom. I still have it. With every mom that I meet of like food, like what's for dinner? And how do you not just shove cereal in front of your kids every night, or at least like four nights out of like seven. And, um, and I started realizing that this, 
was an issue that lots of people had and it was a potential and I had a potential solution. Mm. Um, so I started sharing those and then I started selling those. And now I have this 52 week program with seasonal menus that people download and buy and follow, go grocery shopping with it, follow my prep day instructions and get food on the table. So that was, that's eating clean, cooking dirty. And through that, I've done other things with that. But when I moved back, I live in Hood River, which is right outside of Portland. And when we moved back here from Portland and my, my customer base here started growing, most of my customers are all over the country. I have some in other countries and people would ask me if I did the prep day instructions. And I'm like, yeah, I don't do that. Like they wanted me to do the meal prep for them. Mm. And I don't do that. And I'm like, no, no, no. And finally I was like, man, I, I got asked enough times where I thought there's a, there might be another business there. Mm. Uh, so this year, March 19th, I said, I will do it for one month. If I had five families sign up, we had 12 families commit for the first month. I think I don't remember the exact number, but I think we delivered something like 24 family meals. So family portion meals. And I I have to say we, and it blew out of the water Monday. So today's Thursday on Monday, three days ago, uh, we delivered 128 meals. Wow. That's amazing. It's crazy. I did not, I had no idea what the demand or supply you know, I'm a numbers person. So I'm like sitting down and trying to figure out like what this is and having no way of really understanding what the true demand would be. But we source locally, we um, produce locally. Um, our right now, which I think is super cool. Our team is all moms. Yeah. Super neat. Um, it may not always be that way, but we've got five moms that are living, working, raising their kids, um, here in our area. And we're just delivering whole nutrient dense family meals, individual lunches and healthy snacks to the gorge. Oh my gosh. Can you move to New York, please? Because I am like super guilty of shoving cereal in front of my kids a lot. My son is like, I love cereal. And I'm like, I love you because I don't have to cook dinner tonight. But yeah, the struggle is super real. This chuckle it is. is it's, it's crazy. And, you know, things like, you know, there's Blue Apron, uh, One Potato, there's all these other services that are shipping stuff, right? We only, we only, sh- we only deliver within our driving distance. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there, it's a great idea. Blue Apron ships to us, like they would ship to my house from New York City. So I'm having like chicken packaged in this package that is not reusable or recyclable. We use reusable packaging, by the way. Mm. And it's shipping across the country. Right. A little weird for my raw chicken. Um, and, and then, you know, depending on where you live, not everything is recyclable. So they like to tell you that 80% of the stuff is recyclable, but it's, it's not if your municipality can't recycle mm-hmm. it. So there's this whole other, um, whole other, like, sub issue that's getting addressed because we use reusable packaging and we're using glass and Pyrex and Mason jars and things like that, um, to pack and, and 
provide our meals to customers and it just makes such a big difference. You know, that's um, a big thing that the glass packaging, it's funny that you bring that up because, um, I've recently been working with a health coach and, you know, I have a cancer, I had cancer that was estrogen fed and she brought to my attention that a lot of things in, you know, she's like, you have to stop eating anything or drinking anything that comes out of a plastic container because you can get estrogen in your body that way. And I never knew that. That's like a big thing. I'm like, I really need to switch everything over to glass. Yeah. They don't, these are, they're like these little things that people don't tell you or like nobody's no, they're that, you know, somebody's like, I'm going to make some major bucks doing this and they don't tell you, or they, maybe they don't realize themselves the impact that they're having on human life, Mm -hmm. not to mention the earth itself. Um, so it's, it's a really big deal. And uh, moving to Pyrex, Pyrex is awesome. I have to tell you, we've got close to 200 Pyrex containers and we have lost five since wow. March 19th. Wow. Um, they don't break easily. Even though people are like, well, glass, I don't know. Even mason jars. They don't yeah. Break easily. You know, they're, they're pretty, they're pretty good. That's what they're meant for. <laughs> they're meant for. <laughs> so tell me, all right, so let's get into this a little bit. Um, I don't love, I used to love cooking. I don't love it anymore because it just takes too much thought in my brain to like, I go to the grocery store, I don't know, three times a week at least. And I constantly have a a fridge with nothing to eat. Like, how does that even happen? Like, do you know what I mean? So like, can you give me some advice on like, what are like five things I can have in my fridge at all times that I could throw together a meal if I need to? Oh, totally. So a uh, store roasted chicken, mm. so easy, hot, cold, whatever. Um, I love having something like a hanger steak or a flank steak in my fridge. Um, it cooks in 10 minutes or less, depending on how, how you like it finished. Mm-hmm. But it just, it's, it's a lesser expensive steak cut and it cooks so quickly and all of a sudden you have this beautiful steak and you can cook it on Sunday and then have cold salad with steak. Like mm. who doesn't, who doesn't love that? Unless you're vegan, then you might not love that, but who doesn't love that? Um, and, and simple things, you know, even, even like having, if you like beans and your digestion can handle beans, having some canned beans on hand that you can throw together with some, fresh salsa, you know, Mm. like just, just grab some salsa. I mean, this is like stupid easy. Like just go, don't make your salsa, go, go buy it. Um, most grocery stores have make salsa in house. Mm. You can get super fresh salsa, um, and add a little cumin and coriander and salt and pepper and garlic powder and mix it up and toss it on top of the salad and add some chicken and some, some beef to that. Um, you know, it, it, it can be really simple and still be good and delicious and, and, uh, and good for you. Mm. So, um, I saw you wearing a scarf before we started. I'm assuming it's getting a little cooler in Portland area as it's getting cooler in New York. And I'm half excited, half depressed about it. I'm like, I'm really sad, but I can't wait to break out my boots. But anyway, uh, the point is that as the winter months are coming, we all kind of turn to comfort food, right? So, what are some comfort food items that maybe we like that you can make a healthier version of? Ooh, stuffed sweet stuffed potatoes. Mm. You know, I I love especially with with having kids or having a family where you've got people who have different taste buds. 
having like a build your own stuffed potato bar. Cause then like my kid who is a separatist will have like <laughs> the potato and the meat on one side and they're not touching. I don't know how I gave birth to a separatist. I pile everything on top of each other. Yeah. Um, you know, you can break out all the different things. And if you have somebody that doesn't eat dairy in your, in your household, your dairy's on the side anyway. So it's, it's okay. You know, you can really make, um, you know, if you have an instant pot or a crock pot, you can shred up some, some beef or some pork or some chicken. Um, you know, just one of those meats with a can of, I'm going to go back to my salsa with a can of salsa or adobo sauce, um, peppers, chili peppers and adobo sauce and just turn it on and cook it. Um, it's just so easy. Um, you can bake potatoes ahead of time, wrap them all in foil, bake them off on Sunday. You can bake a dozen of them if your family's big enough or more and just have them. And then you're just reheating them in the oven. They're going to taste twice as good. Twice baked potatoes are super yummy. Um, you know, something like that is great. I love, um, hearty soups. Um, we've got leek and potato soup with bacon, on our menu this week. You use turkey bacon if you don't do bacon or no bacon if you don't do any meat. Um, but it's just, it's so good and it's freezer friendly. You can make a big batch. Um, if you're good about defrosting food, <laughs> I'm not good about defrosting food. <laughs> I forget. It's like you dig, you dig in there and you're like, what even is this that I have in my freezer from four years yeah. ago? <laughs> frozen chicken livers from like a year and a half ago. Not like recently. in theory, it's, it's such a good idea to cook devil and, you know, but it's <laughs> just forget that it's in there. Yeah. Some people are really good at it. They've got that thing down, but I'm, I'm not good at it. But if you are, it, those are all great things that like any type of soup or stew, um, beef stew is awesome. Again, those are things that like you can prep ahead of time. You can either prep on Sunday so that you, and it's still good Friday night when you get home and it's been a long week and you're about to call for pizza, but you're like, no, we're going to, we're going to have some beef stew. Mm. Um, and so I just, I really like those kinds of things. There's just, I find, I actually find that like eating comfort food in the wintertime can actually get easier because you can do some prep ahead. Yeah. Where in the summertime, I just, I, my, my kid will just go into our garden and just stuff her face with food, <laughs> which is a whole other thing that I love. Um, it's like the, it's like the living salad bar, yeah, but, awesome. um, yeah, it's, it makes it easy. So can we talk about the instant pot for a second? Cause I finally bought one and I've used it like, I don't know, three times, maybe, <laughs> maybe. And I made the same thing in it every single time. I don't know. Everybody says it's so easy. I find it really intimidating and I don't know what to put in there. It is, it is, it is intimidating. I, I felt the same way. I, I think mine actually sat in the box for like six months before. Oh, mine too. So like, you need to grow up and put your big girl panties on and take this thing out of the box. Yes, yes. Um, and I... You know, I have a couple recipes on my blog with Instapot, but really... The pro of the Instapot is Michelle Tam of Nom Nom Paleo. She like she has an entire section on her blog, if you don't own her books, of Instant Pot recipes that are stupid easy and stupid delicious. Okay. Um, just amazing. I'm convinced. I, and I, the only thing I can say about the Instapot 
Um, I love mine, but if you like doing things like yogurt, like you can cook yogurt, you can make yogurt. Yeah. You can make yogurt in there. If you're going to make something savory, you're not going to make something sweet in that thing. So like if you're going to cook a stew in that pot, you will never ever cook yogurt in that pot because it will be a stew yogurt. (laughs) You you kind of have to like... Some people might like that. (laughs) Some people might like that, but like... I, I bought it and I was like, oh, you can make yogurt in this thing. And then I realized after I cooked my first batch of bone broth in there that I was never cooking yogurt in that thing ever. Yeah. I mean, there's just some foods that are just meant to be purchased at the store. I just think yogurt <laughs> is one of them. I, just, I mean, I get it. Like I get it, but it's just yogurt. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not that dead. I just, I, I told you, I don't have the patience for it. I'm not that dedicated. And speaking yeah. of dedicated bone broth, I mean, hello, 24 hours at least, right? Even in the Instapot, how long does it take in the Instapot? Oh, in the Instapot, you can do it in four hours. Wow. Four hours or less. It depends on what the settings are in your Instapot, but you can do it pretty quickly if you need to. Could maybe that um, I would look into. I, I, there's actually two local companies here that make bone broth and I buy it from them now. Yeah, because that's another one of those things. Yogurt and bone broth, please buy it at your store from like somebody that you trust. Yeah, and it, like when we and when we do it for our customers, I buy it by the gallon from them, and they're awesome. The only time we make our stock in house is if we're doing a fish stock. Mm. Um, but fish doesn't take it doesn't take nearly as long to cook. Mm. Would you consider yourself? like a paleo eater or do you like, you know, the more and more I'm learning and the more I'm talking to people on my podcast, the more I'm like, I don't really want to have definitions of what I do. I eat, you know, for what makes me feel good at the time. So I'm I'm curious, like, do you identify with a certain type of eating or are you just kind of fluctuating? So I, when I started my, um, my health journey, uh, more than a decade ago, man, it makes me feel old the term paleo is becoming like the hot button. Mm-hmm. And for lack of a better definition around how I changed the way I live, that's what I did. Mm-hmm. I just, but the reality is like, take the marketing term out. And I just, I just stopped eating processed food and I stopped eating crap. Mm-hmm. Um, I put a priority on how my body felt and not, and and took away the priority of the instant gratification. How did you do that? Oh gosh. I had, so I had four colonoscopies and three endoscopies before I was 30. I was pretty desperate. I was pretty desperate to change the way I ate. I had a doc, my gastroenterologist was telling me that you just take Metamucil and everything would be fine. And, you know, we've become this culture and this society where uh, we put a lot of stock into Western medical professionals, mm-hmm. which I could go on about in a whole lot of other ways. But we put a lot of stock into them. And and when they say, take this, it'll make you feel better. You, Most of us are just going to be like, yeah, okay. And I, I was one of them. It was just like, yeah, this is what you do. This is what the doctor does. And and finally, you know, he had prescribed, I think it was Nexium, the purple pill, mm. and, and Nexium and Metamucil every day and, um, you know, restricting my diet quite a bit. Um, 
but not in like a healthy sort of way, just like, Hey, you shouldn't eat acid by the way. Mm -hmm. Um, and me not realizing how acidic things like coffee are. Right. Right. (laughs) Um, and so I was struggling. I I was taking these stuff and it was not helping. The Nexium did almost nothing. Mm -hmm. And finally I was like, dude, a hundred years ago, there was no Metamucil. There was no Nexium. You didn't hear about this stuff in the evolution of humanity. Like people didn't live like this because Mm -hmm. they wouldn't have lived, you know, even though they didn't live as long as we, you know, we're living now, they didn't, wouldn't have lived this long. They wouldn't Mm -hmm. live as long as they did. Like, it just doesn't make sense. There's, there's gotta be a better solution. And when I just took back, sat back and looked at it, I was like, man, I'm just going to stop eating the things that I can't find in nature. And the reality is, Wheat is a grass. You're not meant to eat it. Mm-hmm. The process that we have to go through in order for us to be able to consume it is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, things like Cheetos, as much as they're good, and I love licking my fingers after I eat <laughs> back of them, I can still remember, like, I still dream about it because um, I still have that, that addiction, you know, point in my brain of like shoving myself with Cheetos and Doritos. Um, the reality is that all of the ingredients in there, not only can you not pronounce, but they're, they're not they're manufactured so processed that mm-hmm. you're not meant to consume them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me and what really helps me in general, when I need to make a change or make some sort of, uh, adjustment is, recognizing and educating myself Mm -hmm. and just sitting back and saying, if you were to put any one of those ingredients in your body by itself that comes out of Doritos or Cheetos or whatever, you're going to, you're going to get yourself sick or you're going to puke it back up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And I just, I had to, I had to put my foot down. And so for a long time I didn't eat, I cut out acid and then I realized that one of the things that your body does when you cut out acid is that it's like, Oh, I don't have any acid to produce my food. So I'm going to overproduce acid. So then you get these bouts of acid reflux. And then all of a sudden you're dealing with acid again. Whereas if you, if you consume acid, you cut back water while you're eating, not Mm -hmm. while you're not eating, but at, at your mealtime, you don't drink water. Um, It allows your body to produce the acid that it needs to digest the food and not come back up. Mm -hmm. And then, you go about your day and you don't feel like crap. Mm, I like it. I like this. So let's, let's go there a little bit with health journeys, because I know you also have a health journey that I'd love to touch on if you're comfortable with. Um, and we spoke about when we first met just about a year ago, uh, and something that we both share and that we've experienced miscarriage. So, um, can we talk about that a little bit? I know it's a little bit of a jump, but it's kind of not because it's all connected and how, you know, when you go through hard times, we tend to want to, like you say, eat the junk and all of that. And you know, how you stayed true to your body through all of that journey as well. Yeah. Absolutely. So I had, whew, I had a IUD gone wrong. And, uh, once you have an IUD and once you have one that got, goes wrong and once you are over 35, you become high risk for ectopic pregnancies. And I became pregnant last year. We tried for, I don't know, took, it didn't take us very long in the grand scheme of things, maybe six, eight months, something like that. 
Um, so in that way, we were very lucky. But the moment I got pregnant, the doctor said, you're high risk for ectopic pregnancy. We need to figure out, we need to verify where the, the pregnancy is, whether it's in your uterus or in one of your tubes. So, so if anybody doesn't know, an ectopic pregnancy is a tubal pregnancy. Um, it's 100% non-viable and it is absolutely life-threatening mm-hmm. to, to the mom. And I started going through all of the tests. So it's a series of blood tests and ultrasounds. Um, and I had to go through the moment I had a positive pregnancy. And I'm going to preface this real quick. Two, two and a half months prior to this happening, I had an appendectomy. And in order to remove my appendix in that surgery, I had three incisions. I had one in my belly button, one above my pelvic bone, and one on the left-hand side. And the one on the left-hand side went all the way across to my right to grab my appendix. Mm-hmm. So I went through the testing. I had um, my, my HCG, my hormone levels were not doubling properly, um, and they could not find evidence of a pregnancy anywhere. Ectopic, uterine, nothing. On a Friday, my doctor, with many, many years of experience, who was trying to be conservative, said, let's take the weekend, come back on Monday, repeat the tests, and we will, we will make a judgment call at that point. If you have an ectopic pregnancy and they find it before you start bleeding internally, there is a chemo radiated chemotherapy drug called methotrexate that they can give you via injection that will stop the growth of cells. And it only works if you're pregnant. It only works if you have an ectopic pregnancy or if you are earlier than four weeks pregnant. Mm-hmm. So it actually used to be used as an abortion drug. Mm-hmm. This, this gets, it gets a little controversial for some people depending on personal beliefs, but it's a shot. It is chemo, but it's in like the grand scheme of getting chemo. It's just a shot. Mm, right. <laughs> it makes you feel like crap. So my doctor's uh, idea was that if she couldn't find anything on Monday, that I would probably have to have a, uh, the method, a shot of methotrexate. Um, on Monday, I came in, had the tests, came in. My doctor was not in the office. I saw the youngest doctor in the practice with the biggest ego. Mm. Um, who came in, read my charts for five minutes, didn't look at what was, didn't really look at me and, and said, you know, I don't, I don't see any evidence of a uterine pregnancy. I'm a little worried about it. I think you might need to be observed overnight in the hospital, which, which isn't too bad of, of all the scenarios. That's not a bad one to happen. Mm -hmm. Um, and I said, okay. She noticed that I was in pain on my right side, and the pain was from what my, my doctor told me was from a cyst on my right ovary, which I knew about. And she looks at that, and she says, well, I think, that, I think actually that you might be bleeding internally. Hmm. And I said, well, my doctor said that this was a cyst, and she ignored me. She hmm. literally did not reply to me hmm. um, in, the, in the office. And she said, well, let's get you over to the hospital. Let's get you checked in. We came over there. Um, I got checked in. By this time, my parents showed up. My husband was still and my daughter were still an hour away getting ready to come over. 
she came in, they could still not get a hold of my regular doctor. Mm. Um, we ha- we have to we have to give to give doctors a little leeway because they're not on call twenty four seven and they can't be they have lives too so but they couldn't get a hold of her she came in she said you know I can't get a hold of of the other doctor I'm a little concerned about this I think that you are bleeding internally I think we need to have surgery mm. so she got my husband on the phone she explained her reasoning so went through it all and. My husband said, "Where he said, what if you're wrong? Mm. And again, silence, literally crickets. This woman could not possibly see how she could be wrong. She thought she was coming in to save the day and save mm-hmm. my life. And there was no hint of her possibly being wrong. And she, she said, well, I, I, don't, I don't think I'm wrong. This is, this is what it is. You've got pain, blah, blah, blah. And, and it's scary because I, you know, like you, if you have an ectopic pregnancy and you're bleeding internally, it's like you get, you get your butt in the OR yeah. or you're going to die. Right. 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 Um, and it's like, it's real. It's, yeah. it's no, yes. So this doctor's telling me that. And so what do you do? You go in the, in the OR. Um, and I came out, I, I would go, went in expecting to lose my right tube. Mm-hmm. I came out with a pad between my legs, not expecting that I would have a partial DNC done mm-hmm. without my knowledge or consent or a plan B. We're going to do a partial DNC. There was none of that. Um, the doctor disappeared probably because she was wrong. She was wrong. And my husband probably would have gone off on her. Mm-hmm. Uh, the nurses had no idea what happened. They didn't have a good enough record of what and why, and they couldn't get a hold of that doctor. And I woke up hysterical. Mm. Um, and my husband had no idea what to do other than try and hold me. Mm. And, you know, finally I, the nurse came in, she finally got a hold of the doctor on the phone. I'm on drugs. I'm coming out of anesthesia and she's telling me on the phone what she did and that they couldn't find anything in my right ovary or in my tube. They did see my cyst though. Mm -hmm. Uh, And here's my, and, but so they did a partial DNC to try and confirm where the pregnancy was. And the next I hard night next day, my doctor came in, apologized for not being able to be there um, and said, you know, either way, you're going to have a miscarriage. You need to go home and grieve. It's in your heart. No matter how far along you are, it's in your heart. You need to go home and grieve. So can I ask you... My numbers were still going up. My heart. Mm-hmm. So was it So was it a viable pregnancy? It was a... It was probably not a viable pregnancy. Okay. Okay. Never. I'm never going to know. Right. Not that it makes it any better. I'm, I'm never just- going to know for sure. Right. It's a, I know. Right. Did, did they actually like kill my baby? I mean, I'm sorry I to ask to that question. That, Maybe but it's insensitive, no. but I just feel like as a mother, if I woke up in that way, I would, that would be my first question. Well, yeah. Oh, hundred percent. I, I, you know, lots of therapy going through this and like, and asking that question over and over again, because my hormone levels were not doubling the way that they statistically should, Mm -hmm. but they were also 
higher than what they would statistically be if it was an ectopic pregnancy. Mm-hmm. See, so I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to spend the rest of my life asking me myself that question. Mm. Um, and I just, the reality is I just don't know, mm. but she said, you know, you're going to, you're going to miscarry. And, um, and my, my numbers were still going up the next week. So I had to have a round of methotrexate because mm-hmm. they had to CYA and my numbers were still going up the next week. So mm-hmm. I had to have another round of methotrexate. Um, and the reality is, like I said before, it's, if you're over four weeks, which I was, it's not going to do anything to your, your uterus becomes like this ball of steel mm-hmm. and it protects that baby. Mm-hmm. Um, even if it's not viable as it is, it's still going to protect that baby. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the methotrexate did nothing. I eventually, I, I miscarried for seven weeks mm. and, um, and have now have four scars on my abdomen. Um, they, yeah. And yeah, that was, so I, you know, I wanted you to share the story because I think that, um, you know, where I come from is a place that, you know, we don't talk about the things that happened to us because there's a lot of shame and a lot of guilt and, you know, all the different emotions that I'm sure you've gone through. I mean, like you say, you've had a lot of therapy around it and it makes it really difficult. So I just want to acknowledge you for appreciate for sharing that story and that I appreciate it. Um, but I, I also sort of want to bring it back to the food because, you know, we go through hard times in our lives. And it's so easy to say, oh, you know, I mean, when I found out I had cancer, I was like, screw green juice. I want cookies, you know? And it was like the time of my life that I probably shouldn't have been eating the cookies, but you know, your, your body and your mind goes to certain places of, of hurt and anger. And, you know, how did you manage through all of that when you were going through this? Um, sometimes I ate the cookies be super honest about that. <laughs> yeah, that's good. But, we like, honesty. you know, I also, I mean, you gotta, you gotta like, sometimes you're gonna sit down with a big chocolate cake by yourself and a fork and eat it. Um, and I think one of the processes of acknowledging food and, and respecting your body with food is also respecting when if and when you are going to choose something that is not ideal for the long term and accept it, don't feel guilty about it. Just do it mm-hmm. and just move on. Mm-hmm. There's definitely like, there's definitely a, a, I feel a healthier mentality if you are able to do that as opposed to using those types of foods as treats. Like, Oh, I burned 300 calories in the gym today. I can go have this glass mm-hmm. of wine. Like just don't, don't treat yourself with that. Or I have, I have cancer or I'm miscarrying or whatever that is. I'm going to go eat the cake, um, as like a sub, as a, not a substitute or a a prize almost of like, I get to do this because this is happening to me. Mm -hmm. Um, sometimes you're just going to do it and let's just do it. Um, the rest of the time, um, it's definitely a mind game that you, you play with yourself of, you know, I'm going through this it sucks. But if I want to come out better on the other side, I need to treat my body the way it deserves and the way it needs to be respected in order to continue running with my kids when this is over Mm. Um, or running for myself, forget the kids for a second, whatever that is. I don't mean that running's for everybody, but going back, I did, you know, just, just personally as like, Nutrition wise, I did a ton of 
um, gelatin and collagen. And, you know, those are like lots of fruits and vegetables, lots of red meat, um, going through surgeries can really affect your iron levels. Um, getting some red meat into your diet, getting those egg yolks into your diet can really make a huge impact in how you're feeling. And, you know, it might make you feel better immediately, but the reality is what it's going to do if you do it consistently is going to help you come out better on the other side. Mm. Um, I did a ton of smoothies, um, just jam packed with avocado and collagen and gelatin and all sorts of good fruits and vegetables and mm. just shoved it right in there. Yeah. You have um, great skin, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. I, I feel like I have to thank my mother for that. Okay. <laughs> Not the collagen. <laughs> and the gel- <laughs> maybe, maybe it's the collagen, but if you ever see my mother, she's, she just turned 74 and she looks, I just, I hope that I continue down that path of looking like that. <laughs> I think you're already on the path. You're, you do look awesome. <laughs> so I, I, there's some good news to be shared. Yes. Yes. There is good. You're right. There is good news. So you um, want to tell I us the good news? <laughs> oh, say it again. Cause I just talked <laughs> right over you. Um, I am pregnant. I actually, I, I'll say really quick. I did have another miscarriage in March. Mm. Um, it, it was not dramatic. It's tra- it's traumatic, but it was not dramatic mm-hmm. um, as the first one. Um, but I am now twenty one ish, twenty one weeks. Um, we're having a boy. Yay. I am I am uh, I am older, so we had all the old lady genetic testing. Um, so we've got a boy coming in February. Amazing, um, which is awesome. I am very. Oh, I'm excited about the baby. Um, I am having a lot of anger and frustration and um, emotions around the pain that I am experiencing because of my abdominal surgeries and the baby growing. Mm -hmm. Um, It is something that they don't tell you about. Um, They don't talk about, they don't even consider doing different surgical procedures to avoid adding scarring to your abdom- uh, abdominal area. Mm-hmm. So that's been really rough. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not looking forward to giving birth. Does, does anybody? <laughs> does any, you're right. Does anybody? I, uh, so I'll bet I'm, I'll share, I'll share my feelings because I, I kind of, when I say this to people, most people feel the opposite. I am deathly afraid of medical intervention. Right. During my delivery. <laughs> um, I, my, I, I had a natural unmedicated childbirth with my daughter. I didn't have an IV in, I had no monitoring. Um, it was hard as all deliveries are hard, no matter what type of it is. But, um, you know, I took Advil for the pain afterwards and I was fine. Mm. Um, I have had more medical intervention in the last year and whatever year and four months than I have in the last decade. Mm -hmm. And so I am deathly scared of having to have a C-section or um, the C-section actually really, really scares Mm -hmm. the hell out of me. But they're not giving you any reason why you might have to have that at this point. 
They're not. No, they're not. Um, and a lot of this is mental. A lot of this is like mental in my head, not from other other uh, medical professionals. Um, but because I I'm having so much pain, the the scar on my my left side they opened up twice, and both times they went all the way across to my right side. Mm. So I have two strips. And if you ever want to see something super interesting, you haven't looked at this and you don't mind blood and gore, Google um, abdominal scar tissue mm. and see, because normally your, your guts and your internal organs kind of move around and flow and they're all loosey-goosey. As soon as you have an abdominal surgery, whether it's a C-section or any other kind, that scar tissue attaches. It's like spider webs that mm-hmm. attaches from one organ to another to your abdominal wall. And all of a sudden everything is fixed. Mm-hmm. So if you can imagine like this fixed thing and you've got this baby that's trying mm-hmm. to like push its way. I'm sorry, I'm using hand motions and nobody no, else. No, it's okay. Use. I think you're describing it <laughs> perfectly. Yeah. You've got this like this thing that's like trying to push through mm-hmm. um, this fixed entity now. Like it, it it's, it hurts. It downright, it feels like, um, early labor pains in some instances, it is stabbing. It is, it is, it hurts. And I'm going to get way bigger than I am now. Right. Right. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, hopefully, you know, because it happens gradually ish, (laughs) you know, maybe but that's just, that's so, it's just, God, we go through so much as women, don't we? We just go through so much. I, and I like, I the I think about like the trauma that I've been through in the name of my family. <laughs> and it's only begun because he's not even out yet. <laughs> right. And then I got a breastfeed. Oh God. <laughs> oh my gosh. I don't I like I get it. Like I, I you don't have to breastfeed, but really like, you know, my daughter likes to tell me on a regular basis, mommy, your boobies look down and mine look up. <laughs> And that's when I remind my daughter, you have my genetics. So (laughs) you just wait your turn. (laughs) So funny. Well, I wish you a lot of luck with your pregnancy. And I hope that, um, you know, the pain is not, is not, you know, it'll, it'll subside for you because you don't deserve, I mean, nobody does, but you don't, you know, you don't deserve that. It should be all happiness and, you know, it's, it's, I can tell you as somebody who also went through miscarriage and ectopic pregnancy, that when you do eventually have the baby that you're meant to have, you go, okay, I understand it all, you know, and in a way I understand it all. And it was meant, it brought me to this place, but, um, you know, it's, it's hard. It's still hard for me. It's been many, many years, 10 years, maybe. And it's still, it's still emotional during certain times. And, you know, even when you were telling your story, it brings it back for me a little bit. And, you know, I just, again, appreciate you sharing because I know that um, somebody listening right now is going through something similar or went through something similar or will go through something similar and know that they're not alone. Yeah. I think, I think, you know, one of the powers, I think one of the powers of, of your voice and this podcast and, and other, you know, other women is uh, that are willing to speak is that voice um, that, that's that says things that makes it vocal that makes it heard for other women because we don't talk about this stuff enough and i i i have tried to make a conscious effort um when i'm when i meet people on the street when i run into people that 
I see and they're like, oh, how are you doing? I try and be really honest. And sometimes it takes people back. And I, and in, and I try not to say it in like a Debbie Downer kind of way. Uh, sometimes I feel awesome. Today I feel great. Mm. Um, and, and sometimes I, I don't. And I think, you know, people, like, people make the assumption that like pregnancy, like, like you're, you're always happy for everybody else's pregnancy. Right, right. Like you're like, oh my God, you're pregnant. And it's really made me, this has really made me take a step back and go, you know what? Not everybody is happy about being pregnant. Mm-hmm. Has nothing to do with the baby itself, mm-hmm. but not everybody's happy to being pregnant. And, and it's okay to try and gently make space for somebody's joy or pain mm. and let them decide what they're going to use with that, what they're going to do with that space. Um, yeah. And not to judge a woman if she says, you know, I don't love being pregnant or this really isn't for me because, you know, we do it. I mean, listen, we did it. I did it once and I, I really wanted to have another baby. I did it again. But if you told, you know, I remember with my son, I was induced and I, I had to check myself into the hospital and I'm like, who does this? Who brings himself to the hospital for this amount of pain? You know, like this is, I'm not in the mood for this today. You know, it's, <laughs> I don't. I think that you know people that are like I loved pregnancy and giving. I'm like that. that I think that that's the rarity. I think it's great, but I don't think that that's um, you know we need to normalize more of what women actually are feeling. And I think that that's part of what we're doing today. So I really appreciate you being here today. I would really love for you to tell everybody where they can find you. Yes, um, you can find me. I would say my 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 most common place is Instagram at Eat Clean Cook Dirty. Uh, from there, you can find our local roots meal delivery service. If you happen to be in our area. Um, and if you go to eating clean, cooking, you can find me. I will be super honest since I've been pregnant. I've been almost MIA, um, in the social media communication world. Um, because this has been really hard for me to talk about and communicate about, and I've been trying to process how I'm going to do that. So, um, yeah, if you only hear from me like once every two weeks, that's why I'm trying to figure out how to say all this stuff. Although this podcast is going to come out at some point. So there you go. You can share this podcast and, you know, we (laughs) ladies out there that, you know, have trouble coming up with what you're going to cook for your kids. Like I do, you know, let's support Samantha and her efforts and her business. And, and, uh, I think you're amazing and I wish you all the luck in the world. And thank you for being here today. Thank you so much. This was awesome. Thanks for listening to the shamelessly feminine podcast. If you loved what you heard, be sure to leave a rating and review on iTunes so that more women can learn to live a badass life. To learn more about this movement, go to shamelesslyfeminine.com and join our shamelessly feminine Facebook group. Until next time, go out there and be the boss of your life.